The topic I'm speaking on today is working from the ground up. Um, by introduction, I am married to Festus Moindi. My husband's doctorate is in um, leadership development. So we, we serve together. We are based out of Nairobi, Kenya. We have two boys, uh, Jay, who is not really boys. They are young men now. Um, Jay is 22, and Charlo is 18. He's a senior in high school. Uh, in reference to profession, I am a medical doctor uh, trained in the equivalent of family practice, and uh, also I've done my master's in public health. So I practice more the public health aspect than the curative service. Um, I'm a minister. I'm actually an ordained minister, and I took this position uh, for obedience uh, through Christ, that I may, I may serve him and stand to represent him in the areas where we serve. Uh, we serve in, in situations where we partner with the church, and it became a necessity that we will be able to partner as equals in this ministry, not just in the professional aspect. I work for Life in Abundance, and Life in Abundance has several staff members that are based here in the U.S. We have an office in Kentucky. We have another office in Phoenix and then in California. We've got two of our ladies from, from Phoenix here, uh, Sarah and Jessica. They're sitting up front here, and they're actually at our booth upstairs. And then we have uh, Anna. Anna is standing behind there. Um, she is based from the Kentucky office. And really, when we are at Southeast, we just feel so much at home because so many of you have come and become a part of what we do in Africa. Um, and just looking at the people here, I've seen several who have been out to serve with us. Maybe you can just show by hand if you have been to any of our countries in Africa. That's wonderful. So if you have any questions or follow-up, those people who raise their hands, they are stakeholders, <laughs> and you can follow after them and just know more about what we do. Uh, so that's, that's us. That's uh, who we are, and we are called to serve with the poor in vulnerable situations, and we, we work in that way. Uh, really, the partnerships we have with all of you who have come and... Uh, the church and the other churches in the U.S. Um, enables us to do what we do, so we are truly thankful. At the earlier part of my, my getting into ministry and getting into service, after the clinical practice, I began to just treat patients and, and felt that I was making an impact, that people would come, they are sick, and they come out from, from the visit with a prescription and within a few days just to see them well and walking around that the disease they had has been taken care of gave me a fulfillment. Um, but I quickly realized that was short-lived because you get into frustrations of the same people that you had seen the week before. Uh, they come the following week with the same conditions or other conditions that you had seen other patients in the clinic with. So I realized very earlier on the limitations and the cycle nature of that curative service, that we can never really eradicate it if we are just focusing on that area of medicine in the clinic and seeing the sick. 
So I went back to school and my aim was let me study public health and know what are the approaches that I can apply to what, what I already know so that these can be sustained and uh, the limitations that I was sensing could be addressed. My limitation was just feeling if we are just doing the curative, the little C there, we are missing the preventive aspects, we are missing the whole scenario of promotive health, and we are also missing the rehabilitative. Really what happens to them when they go back? How do you manage the, the impact of the disease that that they had and how do you rehabilitate them back to, to good health? Not just them, but even the conditions under which they live, the environment and the systems that cause them that ill, Ill health. But something that also bothered me was the transformational piece um, and that's the spiritual aspect. How do we integrate our physical work in development, in health, in meeting needs to have an impact that will outlast us, an impact that will have an eternal value. How do we bring the gospel, really bringing in what Jesus came to do, that the gospel can be preached through the acts that we, we carry forward. So that became uh, something that led me to thinking about developing appropriate and sustainable responses. And I quickly realized it takes it takes knowledge of the primary health care principles. Um, it takes knowledge of those concepts and developing those strategies, basing them on, on what those concepts tell us we need to do. These have been studied. These have been proven to be effective. And WHO, World Health Organization, talks about them and explains how they can be utilized. But it's also becoming familiar with the standardized approaches that have been used using these concepts and using these principles. In the developing countries, lots of new approaches have been put in place and uh, they've been written about, they are in practice, and there's a lot that we can learn from them so we do not repeat some of the mistakes that have been repeated, but also move past uh, what they have done to take those approaches to the next level. It also takes understanding the principles that are applied especially in the implementing the interventions for that total well-being, that we are not just dealing with the disease part, but we are asking ourselves the deeper questions as to why that person is sick and what could have been done to prevent that illness. It takes innovation, and for us that's piloting, um, then we reveal that pilot so that we can replicate it in other areas and then eventually multiply it so that it can become like an operational research. We can say this is what we did, these were the results, so let's do it the same way or let's change this so that it can have a bigger impact. So in developing those appropriate and sustainable responses, these are some of the things that we have found it takes. In defining primary health care, um, it's essential health care on practical, based on practical, scientifically sound and socially acceptable methods and technology made universally available, that accessible and that practical, that social acceptable, that scientifically sound, those were the key words that I wanted to pick out. Essential health care based on practical, 
scientifically sound and socially acceptable methods and technology made accessible to people, to families, and community through their full participation and at a cost that the community and the country can afford to maintain at every stage of their development in the spirit of self-reliance and self-determination. Um, I highlighted those because I feel they really speak into any strategies and any approaches that are going to be from the ground up. Um, if we make it practical, if we make it uh, right, the government will take it, they'll speak into it, it can be able to be replicated, it can be able to be multiplied. But if we go wrong from the very beginning, where that spirit of self-reliance and self-determination is left out, then the people do not participate in it, the people do not become part of it, and it's not sustainable. So it's taking that whole definition and asking ourselves, what we are developing and putting on the ground, is it really going to go up if it doesn't um, qualify in these areas? So just going back to what is the definition of primary health care that we can be mindful of it and we can import it into the strategies that we are developing. In achieving development, which is the desire that we want so that there can be that upward movement, there are five key elements that we can, we can look at uh, that help us to accomplish that goal. One is reducing that exclusion. And there will always be exclusion of the poor. The fact that a clinic is available in an area doesn't mean everybody can access it. And it's looking at those social disparities that prevent people from benefiting from what is happening. It could be religious, it could be other social barriers, and not addressing them means we are excluding them from the intervention. It's also organizing interventions around people's needs. Um, unless we are meeting a felt need, we'll just be displaying something for us. So it's knowing through a baseline survey uh, what are the felt needs in this community that we can develop an intervention around them? What is their knowledge, attitude, and practice? That's a CUP survey. What is their knowledge and attitude so that we can be mindful of those to make sure what we develop as an intervention will qualify even to have success in that area? And then it's ensuring that it's an integrated approach. If it's going to be total well-being, uh, it's meeting all the different sectors, all the different needs together that total well-being is accomplished. In pursuing partnerships, uh, it's realizing we cannot do it alone. Uh, it cannot be a one person, one organization, one ministry um, objective, and this is achieved. It's coming together with the different people who can meet the different sectors and working together so that a whole developmental approach uh, is established within the community. And they're usually there. It's seeking them out. It's finding out who is doing what so that we can all partner together. It avoids replication of effort. It avoids uh, people doing the same thing just next door without knowing they are actually doing the same thing. And then it increases participation of those we target. And that's the empowerment. Uh, when they participate, when they own this and begin to feel this is ours, then they are empowered because they begin to protect it, they begin to value it, 
and they take it to the next level. If they haven't bought into the idea, then it never goes up. It remains on the ground and it remains to be ours. And just looking again at the basic primary health care principles, um, they've been talked a lot about. And in many ways, when we go into ministry and quickly respond to felt needs, uh, we forget to look back and see what are the basic principles that we are basing this on. Uh, that equitable distribution of health care, it's something that has been advocated through governments, and it's knowing the governments are aware of that and they are doing that. So as we connect with them at that level, we are helping them already accomplish a policy which is in place, and we are contributing to the overall development. So just looking from the ground and seeing what policies are operational, what monies has the government committed to, to advance this agenda so that we can partner with it, augment it, and take it to the next level. They, they advocate community participation, and this is common in all the countries where we are working in, in Africa, that the government will be supportive of community participation. And they even have, in some cases, funding for that, facilitating that community participation. They advocate that we develop a workforce on the ground. So it's the community health workers programs that are there. It's working with the extension workers. So if we come alongside those same principles, then we'll be augmenting a principle that is already in place. In the use of appropriate technology, the government advocates that, and they have bought into the basic principles of appropriate technology. So when we bring a module that is using a simplified way of doing things, when we are putting tools into people's hands to take care of their health, then we are really buying into the government plan. And it's good to know it's already on the ground. We just need to have the confidence to be, to be speaking to that and actually owning that and using it to advance our efforts. In the multi-sectoral approach, which again is what will make what we do successful because it then brings in the whole person, uh, some of the sectors that have been uh, proposed as useful in achieving health and actually achieving development is looking at the sectors of agriculture, of education, and especially for women. We've just been working in Sudan, and we've realized women who do not need who do not know how to read and write um, actually have a negative impact on the health of their children. UNICEF says it very clearly. When you educate a woman, you educate a family. And uh, just coming along that same education, not just the health education, which is the other sector, but even them being able to read and write gives them a confidence and an ability to make decisions that are impactful to their families. And then we have um, housing is important, um, especially in dealing with our work in Djibouti and in Somalia, we've realized the effects of poor housing. We work in slum areas like Kibera, Madare, we work in slums in Egypt, and we've realized not having proper housing affects health negatively. Uh, so it's knowing we can, we can take care of the curative part, but unless that housing is taken care of, those people will be back in the clinic. 
um, the economy is very important and it brings in very interesting aspects for us because our focus is to work with the poor and realizing it's, they are poor because they do not have that economic power. Um, so if we give them a prescription, they will not get the medicine. If we tell them particular ways of diet that they need to observe, they may not be able to observe that, especially the diabetics and other people who are affected by what they eat. So it's taking care of the economic factors, knowing they contribute to health just as much as a prescription would contribute to the curing of a particular disease. Um, Water, I cannot overemphasize that. We all know how many children die in Africa because of the lack of safe drinking water, the diarrheal diseases. And some of you who have come and stayed in some of the communities have seen um, on the ground the impact of not having safe water. Sometimes it's not having the water at all. Community organizations speak on behalf of the community. They make decisions, they affect decisions, uh, they carry the burden of the problems that happen there. So including them as a sector in our approach enables us to start right uh, at the ground. In looking at principles, I actually just wanted to give a few examples of what is the principle that is existing and what strategy can we employ so that um, that approach will be fitting within that principle. When we talk about the principle of making it accessible, available, affordable, and acceptable, some of the strategies we can begin to think of are the services need to be at the level of the people. So if we are developing a strategy, we embrace that. And then the use of resident volunteer workers with a ratio of 10 to 20, which, which has proved to be effective for us. That if they are resident there, then they will be available at the home level. When somebody has a question, they will go to them. It's affordable because they are volunteers. And if they're just dealing with a limited number of households, they can do that um, without feeling they're spending too much time. Then the local church being the host. Uh, we have found once the church is bypassed, sustainability is compromised. Uh, the eventual impact of this program will not be there. And the spiritual aspect, that part that transforms, is altogether missing. Another principle and the strategies that can be employed is meeting basic and essential needs with quality care is a principle that is advocated by, by WHO. And then looking at what are the strategies that we can speak into in designing our programs. It's the training designs and curriculum based on community needs and priorities. Um, we've been in partnership with uh, Empower. We've been in partnership with uh, the recently formed TTT. And we have seen some of the modules that are developed. And it's designing those modules to connect with the felt needs in the community and in a way that will speak to them. And then bringing those to their level so that they can use. Um, it's just been amazing what those modules at that level can do. And then it's looking... In relation to that principle, it's looking at the promotive, the preventive, the curative, and the rehabilitative. 
so that it's, it's essential needs, but it becomes quality if we are thinking of the all-round factors. And then identify the effective health and the referral system that at the community level, when we have these modules, we still need to know who are we going to refer uh, these patients. When there's a complication, who is going to take that responsibility? And especially for the poor, when we make that, that networking, when we introduce them to that referral health system, that's the empowerment that they need because many of them will not know what exists in the hospital and many of them will not know when it's a complication and they need to go to the next level. So that becomes an empowerment and it puts quality in the strategy that we are developing. In social mobilization as a principle, some of the strategies we can think is social engagement. That we are bringing on the leaders, we are bringing on the church, we are bringing on the other segments of the community and we are allowing them to engage in what we are doing. Then the community campaigns will spring from there. Uh, they will campaign about the provision of water, they will campaign about the preventive aspects that they will be thinking about. And then they'll go into the multi-sectoral involvement because there's that social mobilization. Other people will begin to be involved. Then the raising awareness just continually uh, from the pulpit uh, in the community through the community health workers, that becomes a strategy that brings in that social mobilization. And then the involvement of the local government becomes such a value, especially if we are going to be getting involved in what is already provided and engaging in the policies that are existing. So from the ground up, a community organizing approach becomes a core thing that has to be in place. Uh, if we ignore that community organizing, then we, we will lose it from the beginning. Community organizing is a process to facilitate a joint response from people who live in the same locality. Uh, it's facilitating that they can come together and they can actually act as a unit toward a particular need. The goal is to generate that sustained power for the community to influence decision makings in the present and also in the time to come. It also enables a community, community organizers work with, with and develop new local leaders. It, they also facilitate coalitions and they also assist in the development of campaigns. Um, we've been involved in some of the campaigns that have risen up and cleaned some areas where people were throwing trash. Uh, they've risen together and provided water and water points in the community. We've had people who have risen and planted trees uh, that they can be that environmental health in the area. So just organizing the community enables us to have those campaigns that are empowered by the people, and that begins the, that from the ground up approach. Then the church role, which is to facilitate the process of this community organizing, actually they come in as, as a midwife to that process, because they care for it, they connect it, they enable it to have a life of its own, and it's seeing the church take that center stage to enable a community organizing that is centered around um, 
the needs of the community, but with a spiritual input into it. In the community organizing process, I just wanted to very briefly share the five steps that are essential in getting people to come together around a particular need. Uh, Networking. Networking will arise if we visit the community, if we develop relationships, if we build trust, and if we identify key issues and needs that we can together come alongside to bring a solution. And then coalition building is to bring the church together with the community on an identified need. And then acting and reflecting and acting again. Uh, we, we do one campaign, we reflect on it, and then do it again. That continues to strengthen and actually make it almost sound natural that that process will be ongoing. So acting, reflecting, calling them again to do the same thing. It begins to deal with the root problems. It begins to take systemic, systematic action uh, that is continually needed. And it puts confidence and trust in these people that they can take ownership of their own development. Leadership empowerment is looking at people who are, who are leaders already in the community and then training them in things that are going to facilitate the development process empowering them to be able to make those needs and become part of the process that brings development, beginning with what is already on the ground so that it can continue to go up. We see the birth of a community if there has been a real and organized community organizing. People begin to be mindful of one another. They begin to know one another. The church begins to do home visits to pray for one another, and to have meaningful relationships and discussions at the home level. We see salvations happening when the church visits them at their homes, and we see people coming to the church, even with a a problem that is not spiritually related, because it's a birth of a community. There is trust, and everybody feels they are an integral part of that community. How does all this speak to the transformational piece? Uh, Because we can be scientifically sound, but completely miss out the transformational piece. As Christians called to development, if we just major on that and completely miss out on the transformational piece, we would have done just what any other humanitarian organization could do, or what anybody, any expert can do without even knowing who Jesus is. So it's very key that we ask ourselves, are we doing something that only a medical practitioner who is a Christian can do? And what is the difference between us and just an ordinary practitioner? We follow the Jesus model of ministry as a principle, and I'm just going to share a few principles that relate to that kingdom response. So that as we employ these other principles, we are also employing the principles that relate to the kingdom response. Compassionate care for the whole person is something that Jesus uh, showed us repeatedly. Uh, He fed, he held, he mourned with. Uh, he laughed with, he ate, he, he just got really involved in a way that made him deeply identify with the people that he was reaching out to. 
he multiplied his knowledge and skills through training. Uh, he trained others so that they can be trained. But the 72, uh, sending them out to go and do the same things that he has taught them. That process begins to be multiplied. And then he partnered with all the people who were open to him, just basic people in the community. That as we begin to look as to who can be on our team, it doesn't have to be just the educated, the non-educated. It needs to be just the basic people, those that are available and willing to serve with us. Because they have the capacity to be empowered, they can be trained, and that affirms them as a people made in the image of God. And then he was innovative. Jesus moved out of the standardized way of teachings and living, and yet he respected the principles of his day. So it's respecting the same development um, principles that we have, but at the same time willing to be innovative and to move beyond that to see how can these be utilized to bring about transformational development. And then he modeled for us simplicity. In many ways, when we go to the lost, when we go to the weak, and we go in that, in that approach of medical practitioners and a language that they cannot connect with, then they leave it to us. Um, it just puts them off. It, it speaks a message to them that they cannot do it. But if we can simplify it to their level, if we can show them what it means to be able to give an injection. If we can allow them to be owners of that process, uh, then we'll be modeling that simplicity. And it takes us to bring it to their level. The other principle that I wanted to share in uh, Christian development is taking the role of a facilitator. If we closely associate with the church and we work with them to reach the community, then we, we stand back and refuse to allow us uh, to be tempted to base this thing on, our, on ourselves. If we allow the church to be the implementer, then that immediately takes a responsibility from us. And then to use that respect that they have earned, the church has earned, coupled with any respect that we have earned as medical practitioners, and allowing that to be relinquished to other people at the earliest opportunity. And then to serve just as needed. Um, we don't need to stay forever, to, to just serve as needed. If we are needed to do it for two years, we just do it for two years, uh, empower and allow them to go on, because we are there to facilitate, and we are there to hand over that responsibility and job so that we can move back. It's also to develop effective partnerships that are based on common understanding um, of our goals and purposes, uh, a transparency and good communication, uh, the fear of God. And we can even develop a criteria of what, is our, what are our partnerships going to look like, depending on what is it that we want to implement as an intervention. Those partnerships already exist on the ground, and it's just a matter of seeking them out, uh, mobilizing them, organizing them, and helping them to be partners in this work. In relation to church involvement, which is a core um, value in kingdom development, it's entering the community through the local church. The use of the church that is willing 
and one that is willing not only to host but to take responsibility is what we go for. So it's looking for those churches, identifying them, and using them as the entry point into the community. Churches that are strategically located on the ground. It's allowing the body of believers to be lifted up. So that it's the church that is being associated with a positive impact on the community. Because then that gives them the ability and almost the right to speak the gospel to the people who are benefiting from this. Which is the principle of why we do development. Why we should do development in the Christian way. It also empowers and guides and facilitates that response. So as we bring the church on board, then that is facilitated. The church will be equal to the proclamation of the gospel, and it's the acceptable spiritual voice. The church is the institution that remains there even after we have left and will continue to enforce and sustain that change and it will be the institution that will be there even after other organizations have done their work and left. The other principle is on facilitating sustained health care. In this emphasis should be prevention and at a cost that is affordable to the populations. But at the same time, it's knowing unless we meet that curative need, which is always an urgent need, then we miss them from the beginning. They will not wait to be well when the preventive aspect is in place. They want to be well today. So it's got to be both the curative part being taken care of and then moving on to how can we prevent them from being sick tomorrow. So it's looking at what is already existing in the system so we can bring it on. It's also empowering those systems that are already existing, maybe by meeting the the supplies or allowing the people who work there to be part of our training team. And if there's no health facility, it's looking for a way of not us really establishing, but bringing the community to establish as we facilitate that so that it can be sustained, it can be affordable, and it can continually meet that curative need. In training, um, as a Christian principle in development, um, it's a key thing that we employ in the empowerment. And it's training both in skills, in knowledge, and in practices. It's modeling so that these people will be able to take on that responsibility and be able to own it. When they do the home visits, the community health workers or whatever name we can give them, if they are trained, they will be effective at the home level. They'll be able to pass on the right message. And the trained church teams will train others, and then this can be expanded. It's bringing on the church really to be our workforce. Uh, In establishing a project management structure, This to us was the biggest uh, challenge. Uh, How do we allow there to be a structure of management that is participatory, that involves people, and that can enable this work to be managed in the long term? And we got the answer from the community organizing. We got that from the church becoming the, the, the resource that we needed. And then the church seeing themselves as a facilitator And even us, ourselves, seeing ourselves as a facilitator that it's not based on us. 
We establish community committees, and this is from the leaders that are key in the community. This really would be our, our agents who go and take the message to the community level. So that community committee is trained, and they begin to work with the change agents. The change agents report to the committee, and the committee is made up of people from the community and also from the church. So there we get a structure where the families are represented, and the change process is managed by um, a project management structure that brings on the church. Um, we divide the community after the community organizing into functional units, and we call them clusters. And usually we classify them into three community health workers that are dealing with a particular cluster, and that causes them to be accountable to this management structure. And then each church trainer, each church trained worker, or each community member that is already empowered is given a cluster to be responsible for. And that begins to be a structure that can be sustainable. The strength of this management structure will determine the sustainability of the project that is in place. And the church piece becomes so central because it holds that management structure in place. In a community mobilization, uh, the initiation of those relationships between the community leaders, the church leaders and the community members becomes enforced if there is a sharing of the gospel, if there is a value that's beyond just the intervention. Because an intervention will come and a solution is found and then people don't need to be together again anymore. But if fellowship is a factor, um, if that's, that gospel is what binds them together, then this will be ongoing. The activities are planned with the community. They are done with their participation. They own them. They finish them. They take on another one. And then the spiritual activities are interwoven in every activity. It could be a water initiative. In that same water initiative, there are home visits. There's a preaching of the gospel. There's fellowship around the water committees. And the church is facilitating that. That just sustains it. That just gives it a life beyond just let's have water. And then the church here is seen as a resource because that's where they'll go and report the problems. That's where they'll go and get the training. And they'll feel the church has actually become an integral part of their development. In a discernment and intercessory prayer, this, this has become our strength as a ministry. Really, not by choice, but by, by obedience. Um, following after Jesus and knowing he came to set the captives free, we've realized we have strongholds in communities. We have things that we cannot address by technology, by planning, by interventions. And they have to be addressed by discernment and by prayer and by breaking those strongholds so that the captives can be set free. It could be practices that have bound people for a long time. It could be things that are spiritual strongholds that we may not actually explain. But it's knowing the thief came to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus has come to counter that force so that there can be life and life in abundance. And it's knowing it cannot be attained in any other way other than through prayer. Uh, we pray before we begin. 
We pray in the process. We pray at the exit. We continue to pray and engage people to be involved in prayer because we found unless Christian development has this principle in it, we will not facilitate transformation. There will be change, and that change could be short-lived, but it will not be transformational or eternal if discernment and intercessory prayer is not a part of that approach. In addressing felt priority needs, uh, this is what will bring the communities together. Um, as we invite those communities to be part of their felt needs, as we are alleviating those things that are hurting them, uh, they will begin to be part of that. Poverty alleviation is a key felt need, especially in developing countries, in the areas where many of us would be called to serve. And poverty is not only a cause of ill health physically, but also a cause of ill health spiritually. Uh, We know poverty kills happiness, it kills self-esteem, it kills hope. Um, And the the dealing with a community that doesn't have hope is very discouraging. And so, so addressing poverty and putting hope in their hands through an ability to provide for their needs and the needs of their families begins to help them to have that self-esteem and that ability to listen to solutions and take them to the next level. It also opens doors to immoral lifestyles, and we've seen um, things like prostitution, uh, child trafficking. Uh, A lot of things are happening because of of poverty. And once poverty is addressed and that empowerment is, is put into the hands of these communities, then these crimes and these immoral lifestyles and detrimental ways of trying to survive, um, they begin to be out of the door. So addressing poverty also means there's going to be a sustained change. Um, If we augment that change with ability, uh, people can sustain that change. We usually do so through income-generating activities, and those, those can be very innovative. Uh, They will come up with what they want to do. They will come up with innovative ways of generating that income. And we begin to partner with them based on their interests and then continue to add value so that their income-generating activities actually generate income. In innovation, modeling, and advocacy, and especially the advocacy piece, um, it's knowing the root causes of what causes these things will not be removed unless we participate in advocacy. Um, Advocacy could be toward the government. It affects uh, policies. It actually breaks the cycle so that people don't continue to to have interventions forever. If we just do interventions and interventions, intervention, it's almost like we we are doing relief. But if we take those successes of our interventions and almost use that as operational research and use it to change policy by presenting those results to policymakers, to decision makers, then we can say really from the ground up we have brought about a change. But if we just remain on the ground and don't go up, then that change will be left at that level because advocacy was not part of what we needed to do. So why this approach? 
Um, this approach utilizes local resources and especially people. It builds self-esteem and it builds respect for all people. It establishes accountability and it avoids dependency. It promotes ownership and it facilitates that empowerment that we desire for And above all, it brings that transformational development that is that will last eternally. And that it ensures sustainability in the time to come. In developing these appropriate and sustainable responses, Again, just to recap, it takes the primary health care definition that we went through. It takes the principles and the strategies uh, that we, we discussed. And it takes becoming familiar with what is already standardized and seeing what has worked and what hasn't worked. And then using that which has worked and taking it to the next level. It also takes understanding the principles applied in developing and implementing interventions for that total well-being, and not just the curative, but the, the whole spectrum so that they can be sustained health. What have we learned with life in abundance and using this approach in the areas that God has given us to serve? Um, we have been involved in eight countries. And I would say these have, have been some of the hardest countries in Africa. We work in Egypt. Um, we work in Sudan, both the north and the south. We have work in Djibouti, Eritrea, Somalia, um, in Kenya, Ethiopia. And we've had work in 30 communities. We've been in partnership with more than 200 churches, um, empowering them and seeing what it means to have a management structure in place a community that's organized, them participating in that sustained change. And we know, we know this approach works. If it was just based on us as an organization to go in, probably would not even be in one country, um, beyond one country. We wouldn't have gone to these 30 communities. We wouldn't be having so many processes happening at the same time. But this approach of beginning from the ground up has enabled us to have this work in all these areas and ensure its impact. We've been in, involved in piloting and we found just working in the church, there's a, there's a safety there that if we are piloting something in the church, it's a church ministry and we can review it, we can replicate it, we can multiply it and allow it to multiply from the church level. Through the choosing of the community and then the prayer emphasis, we've been able to do that and we know it's possible. People appreciate it, they see its results, and they want to emulate that. We've been involved in the training of trainers, and that has actually enabled us to be able to face out. We work with a community for about three years. By the fourth year, we are facing out, and we are handing over that responsibility to the community. Um, it's through the baseline survey finding out what are the felt needs and meeting um, these needs through interventions as, as the felt needs. We've been involved in orphan and vulnerable children care. We've done income generating activities. We've done other initiatives based on these principles and practicing them accordingly. So that's what is transformational models will look like, where there's that training, where there's that church empowerment, where we are continually empowering, we are building dignity, 
we are bringing deliverance, we are able to face out the sustained expansion, and that expansion is sustainable in the areas where we have left, and then there is prayer because we need God to guide us as to how we can bring about a transformation that it's only him who can give. It's taking our place as facilitators, uh, refusing to own that to ourselves, but rather empowering others so that they can do it. So how do we know we have empowered? We can check. If we are able to delegate with increasing measure, then we are empowering. If we can take leave and the work continues, then we are empowering and people are taking that responsibility. If there is reduced supervision, that when we are there and not there, people will still do what they are supposed to do because they've owned it, then we've empowered them. And it's creating that distance, allowing that initiative and that confidence to be taken by people who are basic people in, basic people in the community. That they are not, we're not watching over their shoulder or micromanaging, but are allowing them to be innovative, even as God has allowed us to be innovative. And then eventually it's being able to face out, to move on to another country, or to be located in a different area. So this is working from the ground up. It's uh, employing this, that transformational development can be the outcome of the ministries that God has called us. With that, I will stop and respond to any questions or comments um, from any of you. Some of you who have been to the field or would like to share an experience from there or have a question, uh, I would love to, to have us respond to that. Yes, please. Yeah, the question is, what kind of income-generating activities did we participate in or facilitate in having them do? Um, they vary so much. Um, like in, in Kenya, we've been involved in, in a shoe project, uh, shoe, a sandal-making project. Uh, we identified people who had skills of sewing, and uh, we identified local resources that they can use. And really the local resources were worn-out car tires that they can cut them out in the form of a sandal, the sole of a sandal, and they can put um, a beautiful finishing on top. And those can be used as, as, as sandals, in, not only in the community, but actually through our website we are selling those sandals. Um, Maybe with that I can just share our website. It's uh, lifeinabundance.org. Uh, and uh, we have lots of these resources that I have talked about actually posted on our website. Uh, we have several examples of how you can initiate this. We have the resources there. And if you need to contact us for any, any questions or any facilitation, we are more than happy to share that. We also have our booth uh, upstairs, and uh, Jessica and Sarah will be there. Um, we've also got some materials that you can, you can benefit from uh, that are there. Now, any other questions that are still pending, they can also be asked there. I think we have time for just one more question.
Thank you very much for that. All right. Okay, is it okay if I, I pray for us? Okay, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for forums like this where you can bring us together from the, the front lines, enable us to see um, others who are also fighting alongside us, exchange ideas and strategies, and just be refreshed the way we have been refreshed this week. We are so thankful, Lord. And we honor you that you provide for us in this way. We realize that you have entrusted a lot in our hands. And we pray, oh God, that we may have the opportunities to invest these. That, Father, you will enable us and stir us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we will be careful to use that which you have given us as knowledge to advance your kingdom. We pray that in helping, we will not hurt other people. That we will be appropriate, we will implement things that are sustainable, and that further we will not be competing against one another, but that we will know we serve the same kingdom, and that we will be united around your agendas so that this gospel can be advanced in our time. We just pray for each person represented here, their interests or where they are in this journey. The Lord, you will not allow any seed that has been sown this week to dry, but that it may be continually watered, that it will not be stolen by the evil one, but that it will go to its full maturation and serve in the kingdom. We thank you for what you do. May you protect us from every attack of the evil one and cause us to be secure in the places that you are telling us to go. We pray that indeed we will be obedient to the Great Commission. We celebrate your goodness, and are just thankful to be together as family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate it.